All right, everyone, welcome to the Above Average Football Fan Podcast for above average football fans and below average football fans who want to learn more about the game, or if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here, and we hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody, here we are. It is episode seven of season two of the Slightly Above Average Football Fan I am here with my good buddy. If being a home brewer was a superpower, he would be Superman, Thomas Bowen. What's up, Bowen? Man, you are really coming at me from all angles here. As soon as I think I got something ready for you, you hit me with the screen pass, and uh, I'm all over the place. But, hey, man, I'm happy to be back, ready to talk some football. Quite, uh, quite the moves in college football this weekend, quite the upsets. I'm looking forward to getting into it. Absolutely, man. And that's what a good offensive coordinator does, keeps the defense guessing. So that's uh, that's my role here on the show. So let's jump into it and let's talk about our week three reactions and then we'll get into the meat of it. Uh, my big reaction last week, I talked about the fact that it feels as though we found out Alabama may not be as dominant as we thought. Oklahoma may have proven this week that I don't know that I ever thought they were dominant, but I don't know how real of a contender they are at this point. I even saw on some some Sooner sites that there's a call to, to bench Spencer Radler, you know, the man of Heisman Trophy hype and first overall pick hype at the beginning of this season, and the Sooners are calling for him to see the bench. Very interesting stuff. Yeah, you know, it's um I think I think it's of course that's a little premature. Let let's be honest. Like this guy is is a fantastic quarterback. Uh, his numbers are off the charts. Uh I mean, if you look across the landscape of college football this year, people that we never thought would have down year, years are having down years. I mean, People were, were screaming Ryan Day's praises up in Ohio State. Now things are not so great. Dabo was king of the mountain. Now Clemson is out of the playoffs for the first time in the entire incarnation of the playoffs as we know it. Um, I mean, I, I say this, and I'm, I'm probably preaching to the choir here, especially as a, as a South Carolina fan, but Oklahoma fans, just, just chill. Like, everything's going to be fine. That's right. That's right. So, Bowen, what's your big takeaway from week three? You know, speaking of, of Dabo and the Clemson Tigers up in the upstate is that I started thinking after Clemson lost that game, and it is it is pretty well established that Clemson is firmly out of the playoff picture at this point. There, there's never been a two-loss team in the playoffs. That's not going to happen with, with a four-team playoff, maybe if we get down the road with some expansion. But one of the things that I was really thinking about is could, and I'm not saying that they do, but could Clemson have a locker room problem at this point? If you think about it. So as I mentioned, Clemson has, and Clemson has been a legitimate contender. So it's, it's going to be really interesting how Dabo and company deal with this team full of blue chip four and five star athletes who know that they're no longer playing for anything meaningful. It's going to be really interesting. You know, it's, it's always, and, and I've never coached before. You've been a coach. We've been around a lot of coaches. It's very easy to coach a group of guys when you've got that, that carrot in front of the cart there and, and you've got something to play for, but it's much harder when all you're doing is playing for is pride, especially when you're Clemson and along with Bama and maybe one or two others, you've been king of the mountain for Lord knows how long. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's a lot of truth to that. When you have been dominant, when all of your games have mattered, when you have had, uh, you know, a situation where you're the top of the mountain, like you said, or you're the top story on ESPN, Sports Center, College Game Day Live, all those things. Now the top of the mountain story is going to be that you've fallen from grace. What's wrong with Clemson will be a big topic of conversation on college game day on Saturday already has been on ESPN's different college shows. And I'm sure if you listen to Clemson radio, the exact same thing. Um, So it's, it's going to change their dynamic. And and quite honestly, it's been a very long time since coach Sweeney and his staff have had to coach their team under a disappointing regular season. They've had disappointing losses, but nothing that kind of took their season goals off the table, so to speak. Every team sets season goals. And, you know, the big thing is you want to have those goals up when the year's going on. Right now, biggest goal, make the playoffs, win the national championship. Without something absurdly crazy happening, it's completely off the board for Clemson, as you said. All right. Speaking of Clemson, we're going to leave them lead off with them again, and we'll go from there. And uh, so it's going to be Clemson, Boston College to start us off. Then we'll do South Carolina and Troy. And our game of the week, Arkansas is making their second straight appearance in the game of the week column, and rightfully so. And they're going to be playing the Bulldogs of Georgia. So we're going to start with Clemson. Obviously, we've talked a lot about them, um, even at the beginning of this show, but all season long. Talking about the Clemson offense, which is typically how you know we break these things down. I talk about that. You talk about defense and, and whatnot. Clemson's offense is not in good shape. It is not in good shape. They just lost uh, Shipley, Shipley to injury. Uh, I know it's not a season ending at this point from what they're hoping, but I, I saw as many as three to four weeks, five to six weeks. He is out. And that is just not a good sign. Their running game was already struggling. And now it's, you know, one man down on top of the transfer we'd mentioned last week. Clemson's run game is in big trouble. DJ has, I say it every week, I sound like a broken record. DJ has not looked like DJ. The last drive or the last portion of the fourth quarter, he looked more comfortable. He was running with a little bit more authority. He was making some some pretty good throws. Obviously led him down there to a, a tying score. But something to remember, Clemson did not convert their first third down into the fourth quarter against NC State. That is insane. When you think about this offense, what it's done, the records it's set, the dominance it's created, not getting. Now, South Carolina has its own set of issues on offense we'll talk about in detail. Not getting a converted third down until the fourth quarter is just not good football. And that's not who Clemson's been. And we've defended and defended and defended Tony Elliott. Personally, I thought Tony called an okay game. I just don't feel like it got executed. And we'll have more conversation about that when we get South Carolina and review their Kentucky game. I just don't know. You know, I think Tony Elliott, much like Marcus Satterfield, are sitting there going, this is the right play to call. Given this situation, given our system, this is what should be called right now. And then it's just not getting executed. And that is not the Clemson way of doing business. There certainly hasn't been for a long period of time, multiple years. And it's just crazy to see they have got to right the ship on offense 
and in a hurry because this BC team is not a bad football team and it could easily give Clemson its first back-to-back loss in a regular season in quite some time. So that's something they got to keep up. And, and let's not forget that this, this BC team, largely uh, a lot of the same personnel from last year, this is the same BC team that Clemson had to score 24 unanswered points to beat them 34 to 28 last year. So right. BC is one of those, one of those mid to lower tier ACC teams that continues to give Clemson fits. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, you know, not, you know, they're not going into top ship, ship to top ship tape. I can't say the words, but they're uh, as badly as I struggled to say that saying, that's how bad they're struggling on offense right now. So it is a, uh, it's not a good thing up in death Valley right now. Thomas, tell us a little bit about that BC defense and what uh, Clemson Tigers are going to face. Yeah. So, you know, go, going back to uh, the, this, it, it's always interesting whenever I'm breaking down a, a new defense haven't seen, and I'll be honest, I haven't seen much, if any of BC's defense this year, but um, you know, excited to see, this is uh, again, one of my favorites, the four, two, five defense uh, defensive coordinator, Tim Lukabu um, been there for a few years. Um, this defense is is stifling, man. Like like every other Boston College defense, they play very disciplined football. Uh, they're not going to get a lot of penalties. They are currently, by my last check, sitting at third in the conference in rush defense. They've got six sacks on the season, six INTs. Uh, they are led by two upper-class linebackers, Cam Arnold and Isaiah Graham Mobley. Um, those guys are all over the field. Um, they're, they're really smart in coverage. They're also really good at reading plays as well. One of the things I did notice uh, looking back at the Missouri game, because when you really look at BC's record, I'll be honest, I threw out the Colgate game, who they smashed, and then the UMass game, and I'm looking at Temple and Missouri. Last week against Missouri, they didn't get a whole lot of pressure on Missouri's quarterback. He had a lot of time back there to throw. Um, so, Could this be a quote-unquote get-right game for DJ if he's not under a lot of duress? I don't know. Some of his bad throws, maybe even the majority of them, have have been when he hasn't been under that much duress. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how he does and if if Boston College is also not able to get pressure this week, kind of how that'll fare out. Absolutely. Absolutely. So looking at BC's offense, they are coming in – they are at a new quarterback. Um, he's been in since the UMass game. Starter Phil Jokov, Jerkovic, Jerkovic Thomas. Is that, is that what I'm saying? That, that was the original starter. Yeah. Yeah, I gotcha. He was the original starter. Got hurt against UMass. Apparently, it was a hand injury. Sounds like he's out for the year. So that is uh, a significant loss to lose your starter that early on. So they have a new starter in there at Dennis. Grossly, I think it's a Grossell. Grossell is how I say that. Um, And he is, uh, you know, after watching, uh, just like you, I watched the Missouri game to break down film and tape on them from the broadcast of stuff that you can see. But, you know, he, he did a fine job. They had a big win over Missouri. Missouri came into this season really highly thought of, uh, you know, that they were going to be a dark horse for the SEC East and they were going to be this and they were going to be that. And now they've lost to Kentucky and Boston College back-to-back games. So either 
Kentucky and Boston College are a lot better than people thought they were going to be, or maybe Missouri's not as good. That's always the chicken or the egg situation there. This is the first year for offensive coordinator Frank Signetti Jr., uh, but this is far from his first season as an offensive coordinator. He spent the past few years, three or four years or so, in the NFL on some great offensive staffs, the Rams, uh, I believe the Packers, and so on. But before that, here is his list of being offensive coordinator. Fresno State, back in the day when they were just really playing well, good football out there and setting some offensive numbers, uh, some records. Then he went there, from there to UNC, to Chapel Hill, this was in the John Bunting era, kind of a rough spat for anybody. Uh, that was not a great time in Tar Heel football. So I uh, can't really do that. But then you go Cal Pitt Rutgers offensive coordinator, really a lot of success there. Very pro style esque. And by that, I mean formations. Yes, they'll get in the shotgun and they'll spread it out like a lot of college teams do nowadays, but they also want to get under center. And Thomas, I know you and I are old school in the fact that we love an under center offense. I just, it makes me happy. And they like to run what we call the 11 personnel or 12 personnel. So what does that mean? That means one running back, one tight end, that's 11 personnel. One running back, two tight ends, that's 12 personnel. So if you're at a party or a tailgate and someone says, oh, we got to get in 12 personnel, that's what that means. Or if you want to sound like a really smart football fan, you should say that. Um, but what that means is two tight ends a lot of times on each side of the line of scrimmage, quarterback under center, one running back directly behind the quarterback. This is what I refer to as ace formation because that's what it's always been called around coaches I've worked with and played for. But also, if you are a football fan and you were a fan of the Denver Broncos in the 90s during their heyday with Terrell Davis and really into the early 2000s, this was their favorite formation. It is still Kyle Shanahan. Favorite formation in San Francisco, of course. His dad was the quarter, or was the head coach of the Broncos at that time. So here's why I like it. It ends up bringing two extra gaps on both sides of the line. So the defense has a choice there. They shade their defensive line all the way to one side and bring a linebacker down, or they bring in an extra defensive lineman. Now you've got a 5-2. Hey, that means we got a lot of less speed on the field. We're going to throw the ball. You bring that linebacker down, and he's not going to be a great uh, run defender a lot of times, so you're going to run it. They run inside and outside zone out of this. To me, this is what I love about the zone play. If you're going to run it, this is the way to run it because the quarterback turns gives it to the to the running back. Running back gets a downhill head start before making cuts. I really love it that way. It's so much more fluid. Boston College wants to run the football. A part of that is they've got a backup quarterback in. But against Missouri, they rushed the ball 49 times. 49. That's a lot. And and against Temple, they rushed it 38 times. Two of their big wins this year. So I would say if you're the Clemson defensive coordinator, if you're Brent Venables, watch out for the run. Be able to stop the run because that's what's coming your way. Speaking of Clemson's defense, Thomas, tell us a little bit about it. What a fantastic segue that was because that's exactly where I want to start with this defense. Uh, you mentioned injuries earlier for Clemson. Clemson has as, as, as big of a loss as Shipley was on the offensive side. Clemson also lost, for the season, their All-American defensive tackle in Breesey, and they've lost four 
I believe, seven to eight weeks, the other defensive tackle in Tyler Davis. Those guys were forces in the middle. Um, now, granted, the guys that are being replaced with uh, definitely have some experience. Clemson has always been deep on this front four. Uh, redshirt freshman Trey Williams will be subbing in for Breesy. He's got significant experience as well. Um, then we've got for Davis, redshirt sophomore Rook Aroraro. Oh. And I did, I did not just have a stroke right there. His name <laughs> is pronounced Aroraro. And Holy if cow. I'm incorrect on that, if I'm incorrect on that, then I blame Clemson's media guide in the pronunciation section because that's what I went off of. That but, sounds like the coach from Waterboy. That sounds like the coach from Waterboy <laughs> trying to talk. That is amazing. Could you imagine Ed Ogeron trying to say that kid's name? Holy cow. Oh, man, I, I, was, I, I hope that Orgeron recruited him and just barely <laughs> missed on him because I would pay to see those in-home recruiting. <laughs> that that, that Ogeron, whoa, 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 whoa. we almost got him to come to Baton Rouge. The coach will miss row, row, row. But anyway, so, so we've got some experience backing those guys up, but it, it's still when you lose guys like that on your front four, it is, it is just a massive hit. Skalski, the goon at the middle linebacker position, he has had a, a little bit of a shoulder. Apparently, he's, he's back. He's fine. I'll tell you who really blew up last week, though, was linebacker Balen Spector. Yes. Most fans, particularly Clemson fans, they know Balen Spectra. I feel like he's been there forever. Um, he always seems to flash here and there. 19 tackles last week, which I think is, is just is really ridiculous. But, you know, bottom line is, is, as you mentioned, BC wants to run the ball. They want to pound it up the middle. And they've got, they've got the stable of running backs to do that. So I think this game is going to be won and lost right there with Williams and Oh, row, row, row. That's where it's going to be won and lost. That's, yes, that's the most awesome thing I've ever heard in my life. The buck stops with a row, row, row. All right. So, two things Clemson's got to do to win this ball game find their offense, find their offense. Uh, they haven't found it all season taking out South Carolina State, which, by the way, they didn't even look tremendous in that game early on. Find your offense, find playmakers. Thomas, you just mentioned it. It's not just offense. Now with some key injuries on defense, you got to get guys to step up and be playmakers on defense. They had some studs, still have backups that are studs, but they had some known commodities that were studs that are now out, and they got to find somebody to fill those holes. Thomas, what do you think Clemson's got to do to win this ballgame? You know, and I'm gonna have to go with I'm gonna have to go with only one here because again, I don't want to sound like that broken record that is get DJ settled in and, and have a and have that good game. Uh, you know, if you if you look back at last year though, in that limited sample size that DJ gave us, his best game was probably against Boston College. But I'm still gonna say that Clemson's really got to find and establish a running game. They're 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 going to third and four string at this point running back behind a suspect offensive line they've got to get a running game going absolutely i agree with you there all, all right, right. So boston college we got to talk about what they got to do to win this ball game um we just talked about it a little bit establish the run that clearly is a big part of their offense big thing they want to do there establish the run get some good plays in the running game really big there and i think the biggest thing is don't make turnovers don't give clemson offense which is struggling a short field don't give clemson the opportunity 
Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, we're not necessarily a prediction show, but I mean, I will say if they continue to play the way they've played on offense, Clemson's going to have a tough time in this game. It's not uh, unheard of that BC could go into Death Valley and win this game. Thomas, one of the things you mentioned was, you know, coaching with this new mindset, coaching with what they're having to deal with the fans. It's a 7:30 game. This should be a raucous full Death Valley. How will the fans react? It's been a while. They have been very blessed in the fact that they've had a reason to come cheer this team on. Now, what is it going to do? Oh, well, we're out of the playoffs. The season doesn't matter. Yada yada yada. It's that curse of success. So now What's that crowd going to look like at Death Valley? It's still going to be a great home game atmosphere, but is it going to be the intimidating Death Valley that has come to be in, in the ACC? And that's something I really am going to be interested to see tuning in. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, I mentioned earlier, I said, does does Clemson have a locker room problem? They may have a fan problem too. Like you said, there's going to be those diehards that are going to be out there and be loud, but as, as both of us have, have tailgated for a lot of years, it's a lot of work. There's a lot of people that are going to say, screw this. I'm going to stay home. This is not a championship team. This is not a national championship team anymore. I'm not going to spend the money and the effort. So I'll be interested to see that as well. I hear you. I hear you. All right. So let's switch um, over to the South Carolina Troy game. We're going to start off with Troy's offense since they're the road team. Um, so head coach, Chip Lindsey, it's his third year there, an offensive mind, former Auburn offensive coordinator and quarterback coach in 2018. Their offensive coordinator this year is Luke Meadows. It's his first year at Troy as their offensive coordinator. Right now, their offense is ranked 104th in the country. It's not in total offense, so it's not exactly a juggernaut right now, but they are working through new things, things like that. They have a quarterback who has experience at Missouri. He is a transfer, Taylor Powell from Missouri. He has a high completion percentage this season, but one thing, in the past three games, he has been sacked 12 times. For guys who aren't math majors, that averages out to be about four sacks a game. That is not so good. The team this year has only rushed for 301 yards at 2.6 yards an average. So that, again, not a great recipe for success. Finally, on their offense, what I'll talk about, last week, they lost to Louisiana Monroe. <laughs> They were a 23-and-a-half-point favorite going into that game. Also, that game snapped an eight-game losing streak for Monroe in conference with their brand-new head coach, none other than Terry Bowden, brother of Tommy and son of the late, great Bobby Bowden. So I say all that to say Troy is not coming in here on a high by any means, and they're certainly not coming in firing on all cylinders on offense. So, Thomas, tell us a little about Carolina's defense. What you expect to see out of them this week? Yeah. So, <clears throat> looking back at the Kentucky game, and I've I've got a I've got a I've got to issue a full disclaimer here, um, Andrew. You know this. Uh, I did not watch this game live. I was, I was this weekend. I was victim to the fall wedding that we all uh, just despise every year, but sometimes it is a necessary evil. So I did not watch mm -hmm. this game live, uh, which was uh, I don't know if that's good or bad at this point because uh, it was definitely frustrating. But I have uh, 
caught up on the necessary things that I need to for that game. And here's what I did see coming out of that game before I get into this Troy game. So a lot of people are talking about, of course, the South Carolina defense, which is absolutely the strength of this team this year, uh, gave up almost 250 rush yards last week. Okay, yeah, that, that's accurate. They shut down Kentucky's passing game. So Kentucky had to run it. I think they ran it 40-plus times as well. And when your offense cannot sustain a drive, your defense is going to be out there the entire game. So, of course, they're going to get tired. You're going to get, get hit with some gash plays. I did see some good, though. Um, Enigbari, again, continues to, to, to play like he's a man to make a million dollars, and that's exactly what he's doing for himself. He, he eats up – a lot of pulling linemen. If you watch Kentucky's offense, a lot of their a lot of their stretch plays and their outside zone runs, they're pulling multiple linemen. Oftentimes, a tackle from the backside as well as a tight end. Enigbari eats up both of those guys. And as you know, when you've got pulling linemen right there, and correct me if I'm wrong, each of them has specific assignments where they're getting to the second level at the linebackers, whether they're picking up a cornerback. When you've got one defensive player that is occupying both of those pulling linemen and somebody's coming free. So that's exactly what he needed to do. He's pushing things out to the boundary. Um, Kentucky ran a lot of quick passes and screens. I think uh, they were under duress a pretty good bit. Uh, South Carolina did get some good pressure. Really impressed with Jabari Ellis. Continues to come on on the defensive line. His footwork has gotten a whole lot better. His his hand moves, swim moves, things like that have get, are, get, are getting better. Um, so looking at this week, uh, you know, this is a tough game to handicap. It's a tough game to break down because it, it is Troy, and what do we know about him? What can we find about him? Um, what I've noticed is their quarterback is, is not really a runner. Troy's already given up 12 sacks on the season. We South Carolina should not have to blitz much this game. Um, they should be able to get a lot of pressure with their front four. I don't look at South Carolina being very creative or exotic from a defensive schematic this game. Um, I think it's going to be played pretty straight up. Okay, very. Yeah, I could, I could definitely see that. And, and to your point about Enigbare, I agree with you. He, he's taken on pullers. He's causing a pile. He's being that good defensive teammate. And NFL teams are going to notice that. I hate to ever bring up Coach Muschamp, but one of his sayings was that you had to be willing to stick your face in the fan and like it, which is a very strange thing to say. But in reality, what he means there is doing stuff like that, being a good teammate. J.J. Enikbare sees linemen coming and understands, hey, they're coming my way. I can either try and be a star and squeeze through, which he probably has the athletic ability to do, and make this play, which could also end up causing somebody else to screw up and give up a big play. Or I can be a good teammate, selfless, take these dudes out cause a pile and let my linebackers clean up the mess, which is what he's designed to do there. So, I mean, that's what I like about him. JJ, if, if the Eagles get a chance to draft you, I would really, really, really love to have another Gamecock in Philly, particularly of your ability level. Um, although we could use some offensive players in Philly as well, but that's for a whole nother conversation. Speaking of offenses that are struggling, it's really tough to be me right now. I'm a fan of the South Carolina Gamecocks and the Philadelphia Eagles, and we just can't score. Um, one thing I will say is it is painfully obvious the pun is intended there that Luke Doty is in pain Luke Doty's foot is not okay uh particularly he kept the ball on a QB keeper early in the first half 
it, it it's like he had a spike in his cleat that was pointing into his foot and he could barely put pressure on it. Also, when you think about some of his long throws in that game that he missed, if your foot's hurting and you can't either push off, I can't, I'm not sure which foot it is. If he can't push off his back foot with enough force or he can't shift his weight all the way to that front foot, he's going to miss a ball long because he's trying to all arm it. And that's just not going to go well. And so we saw some misses there, but really more in the running game where he, a dual threat option, you know, somebody I, I read somewhere on Twitter or something said, is Luke Doty really a, a dual threat? Like, don't be ridiculous. Don't kid yourself. Like this kid is an athlete. He's, he's banged up. He's banged up. And it became very obvious. I'm sure some of the hits he took against Georgia did not help that situation. Speaking of guys being banged up and not looking themselves, even though there's some offensive line issues, Kevin Harris doesn't look like the same guy right now. He made some good runs. He made some good runs, but he just, that quick twitch hip movement. And again, he's got a back injury. We don't know the severity of that. But imagine if you've ever had back problems, imagine trying to do something quickly, twisting your torso. If you've ever had a back issue, you know how painful that is. And I don't know if he's still in pain, but he just doesn't seem the same. I'm going to say the same thing about Marshawn Lloyd. Thomas, you want to interject there about Harris? Well, I, I wanted to ask you if, if you had thought about this or if you've seen this, because I've heard this and I haven't really dug into it to see if there's any truth behind it, but... I do know that last year when Kevin Harris led the SEC in rushing yards, he ran uh, a lot of his runs were behind a fullback or some sort of blocking back, whether it's, it's an up back as a tight end or something. Now, we do do some of that this year, but it's not as prevalent as last year. Could it be as simple as that, that he needs that lead blocker to let things develop in front of him? I think everybody is different. I, I think every running back is different. And I think also there are some running backs who exceed or, or excel, I should say, in the zone blocking scheme. And there's some that excel in the power blocking scheme. And, and you know, I, I talked about the Broncos earlier, Terrell Davis and many other backs after him, Mike Anderson in, in Denver, and it goes on and on. They were good, patient zone runners. Kevin Harris is a, in my opinion, a hit the ground running downhill power counter toss duo trap gap scheme runner. And, and I get that we've come in with a new system and all of those things, but you got to have some diversity. And, and, you know, this was something that was talked about at the beginning of the year is that, you know, and coach Satterfield was saying it and, and, you know, I, I at the time really liked what I was hearing. I, I don't know how much of it I've actually seen on the field this year about not running his system, but running a system that fits his players. And I don't know that we're doing that with Kevin Harris. I really don't. The, the problem is right now our offensive line is not playing great. We, we, it's hard to tell who's what and who's running well and whatnot when they're dodging dudes as soon as they get the ball and two and three yards back in the backfield, it's hard to tell. I, I will also say, guys, I, I, Marshawn Lloyd has done fine. I still think he's not 100%. you got to realize we are only 13 months removed from that knee injury. It takes 16 months, 18 months sometimes to get back to full speed, and I just don't know that he's there yet. That's why I think Juju McDowell is our, our primary back right now and should be. And I'd like to see him continue to get more and more carries. I mentioned it just a second ago. We've got to get more diversity in the run game. 
If you want to be a zone team, that's great. Running out of a million different formations. One thing I was thinking about today that I wonder, because we were getting under center at times with Zeb, and now we're not as much with Luke. Very rarely, I'm thinking it's his foot. Uh, that's just my thought. I, again, just on very virtue of the fact that if if we put him in the in the under center situation and somebody gets knocked backwards or a lineman takes the wrong step and they step on his foot, that's 300 pounds of friendly fire stepping on his foot and you can be injured even more. I'm just wondering if we're, we're trying to protect his foot and I get it. If you remember Thomas Connor Shaw's junior year, he dealt with a foot injury that ended up it being a foot surgery at the end of that season, came back as a senior and was back to his, his, his ways of doing things, but it affected him. That foot injury, you know, there's a reason turf toe ended Deion Sanders career. If your, oh, feet, if your feet aren't working right, and you're dependent on them, that's just not good. And it's really, I think, changing and holding back what we want to call. And it's nobody's fault. Injuries happen. But, you know, I don't know that this is the full cupboard of the offense, so to speak, because of the injuries we're dealing with right now. And and that's just an unfortunate situation. Um, I will say this, inconsistency at the wide receiver position hurt us this week. Um, You know, I I mentioned last week that Coach Stepp needed to get a a raise. I still think that. But I think I probably uh, may have jinxed us. We started to get the drop skis again. You know, Brooks had a great game. He Four receptions for 63 yards and a touchdown. But he has some key drops, particularly on fourth down. And, you know, to carry on Joyner, who had a great catch against ECU in the back of the end zone, he's starting to to drop some that he can't drop. It's just uh, that I hate drops. I hate drops. I, it just drives me nuts. Um, offensive line looked better at times, but I'm still – I don't can't remember if I brought this up on the show or not or I was just talking about it with someone – I believe 100% in my heart of hearts that, and I could be dead wrong, that we're calling two plays in the huddle. We're calling a pass play and we're calling a run play. And given on what we're seeing, the quarterback's either running the first play called or he's given what's called a kill call. He'll go kill, 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 kill. That means whatever the first play was, we're not running that anymore. We're running the second play. And we may be using a code word because everybody knows if if you hear kill, well, they're going to run something different than, than we expect or yada, yada. I don't know, but we still have times on pass plays where guys are run blocking and we still have times when it's obvious we're trying to run zone and we're pass blocking, which by the way, in that same vein, you know, what's a great way to help a off struggling offensive line. This comes from a former struggling offensive lineman in the pass protection, run the draw, invite everybody upfield go oh no you beat me make sure they beat you to the sides you want them to beat you to and then stick that ball in that running back's belly and let him go because the wide receiver excuse me the linebackers are going to drop that defensive line is going to come charging up the field and oh my goodness look at all this free space fred taylor made an all sec career out of the draw play in florida under coach spurrier I'd love to see the draw play. It's 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 very similar to the screen, but it takes the pass element out of it. That that uncertainty of is it going to bounce off a shoulder pad? But you know, just some diversity there. We're still seeing, and I don't get it. Our tackles are looking inside to block on pass protection. I don't care who you are. I don't care what level of football you've played. The tackles, particularly the left tackle, is usually 
always responsible for the last minute line of scrimmage. Left tackles are the highest played players in the NFL in many cases because they're blocking defensive ends one-on-one. Guys like Jadavion Clowney that are going to be great athletes. Why are we looking inside? I just, it, it's as much as drops drive me crazy, not looking at the offensive line. And I, I don't, guys, I'm not trying to sit here and say I'm an expert. I played the position. I coached the position. I'm a nerd about the position, but I don't know everything. When I watch, and it's one thing to watch and go, okay, that guy got beat. There's nothing we can do about that. But it's, it, it's, can we watch and go, oh my gosh, what are we doing? That's, that's insane to me. And it just, uh, it bugs me. So, got to think about that i'm all for aggressive play calling i thought we were a little too conservative in the first half and then i think on the other end of things we were a little too reckless in the four, in the second half i like going for it on fourth down but consider what your offensive line's doing considering the struggles they're having i know you have kevin harris and you need one yard and you've got two chances at it and it should happen but it ain't so you got to give that consideration. you got a very good defense right now. Very good defense. Play that field position game. I, I just don't understand it. I don't understand it. Get some points when you can. I just don't get it. We had three turnovers against Kentucky. Two fumbles inside their zone, inside their area of the field, and a long interception, great play by Foster. Um, that was essentially a long punt. But when you get two balls inside on their side of the 50 and get zero points, you can't win. You can't win doing that. And it's just, it just you can't do it. All right, Bowen, I'm going to throw a little trivia question at you here. How many rushing touchdowns do you think South Carolina has as a team this season in four games? Oh, that's a, that's a good trivia question. I would say if, if we're putting the over under at three and a half, I would probably take the under on that. You would hit big time on that under because it is one, one rushing touchdown, four Ooh. games as a team. That's not a recipe for success. I don't care who you are. The leading rusher for our team against Kentucky was Kevin Harris at 38 yards. It's, ah, boy, I don't, mm, I don't get it. I don't get it. And then, you know, the other thing I don't get, not going for the onside kick late in the game when it's a six-point game. I, that was a head scratcher. We had a minute and some change left. You know, I think we had two timeouts. Maybe we had all three. That's just a tough thing to do. I, I just don't get that. I, I just don't get that. Um, but that is what it is. Uh, so that's the Carolina offense right now. It's, it's a struggle. Uh, Thomas, what do you know about Troy's defense? Oh, man, <clears throat> this, was, this was another tough one, you know, try, trying to break down this defense. Um, speaking of the, the South Carolina offense, it, it seemed that when South Carolina did throw in a little bit of tempo instead of that come to the line set and look to the sidelines, going tempo seemed to have a little bit more success. And I think that can be fruitful against this Troy defense. Uh, schematically, briefly, three three five. Uh, they do use what what their nickel back. They call him a, a spear, but then they also have this hybrid linebacker defensive end called a bandit. Um, seen a lot of other systems use this before, but uh, let's be honest, there's not a lot of meat on the bone as far as researching this. So I'm gonna dig into this game here. Um, they are a stingy defense. 
giving up less than 100 rush yards a game, less than three yards an attempt. They've been allowing uh, less than 150 pass yards a game. They've got 18 sacks on the year. But here's the thing. Again, you look at their, uh, their look at their competition here against Southern, Southern Miss, Liberty, UL Monroe. This is an undersized defense, undersized front. I think they've only got one defensive tackle over 300 pounds. Um, one of the things that I'll tell you that, that Troy will do, that they do, as we mentioned before, when you've got those smaller, undersized defensive tackles, is a lot of stunts and switches. I saw a lot of rolls, a lot of switches, and a lot of stunts from their defensive line, which honestly – Right now, the way South Carolina's offensive line is playing, that could be a recipe for disaster, and this game may be closer than most experts think. I, I agree with you, and we've seen, again, we're not a gambling show or anything like that, but the line's dropped. Uh, it's down to Carolina by seven. It was 10, which isn't a, a massive thing anyway, but it's uh, <laughs> definitely a concern um, there. So uh, let's switch into what, what needs to happen to win. Well, Troy to win needs to do what Kentucky did and what Georgia did. And quite honestly, what ECU did, but they just didn't come out on top, load the box, make a score, load the box, make South Carolina prove to you they can score through the passing game. Don't turn the ball over. Don't turn the ball over. Don't give us a short field. Although even though we had a short field twice against Kentucky, we didn't do anything with it. Don't, don't give us the opportunity to get easy or cheap scores. Thomas, what's Troy got to do to win the game in your book? You're right. Pressure Doty, his, his foot is not good. He doesn't have that mobility that, that he should have. Um, and then protect their quarterback. South Carolina should be able to get pressure here with just four, and they've got to be able to keep him upright. I absolutely agree with you there. Absolutely agree with you there. All right, for South Carolina, find some rhythm on offense find an identity uh, during a press conference today with Marcus Satterfield. First, I, I respect him for this. They asked him to give himself a let, letter grade for the first four games of the season. He gave himself a C minus, which, Hey, uh, I'll take it. Uh, you know, at least he's being honest. Could, you know, he's fairish, fairish. Um, but find some rhythm, find an identity. He also said that someone asked him, what's the identity of this offense? He said, I don't know that we know that yet. And I, I agree with him. Um, so find the identity of this offense and then score touchdowns in the red zone. My goodness. If you get the ball in the red zone, score some touchdowns. Holy moly. That has got to happen. It is just not been going on and you're not going to win many games at all with that recipe. So just find a way to score touchdowns in the red zone. I, I tweeted this, um, Saturday night, stop getting so cute in the red zone. Don't look for the perfect group of guys. Just play. Play the game. And let's go. Thomas, what do you think about Carolina? What do they need to do to, to win this ball game? Run the ball. Find a running game. I mean, even – I mean, if you look back at – I mean, hell, I don't know. The last five-plus years, like South Carolina's bread and butter, you want to talk about identity, is running the football on offense. They've got to be able to run the ball. They're not going to beat Troy. They're not going to beat Vandy. They're not going to beat anybody if they can't find a way to run the football. I absolutely agree with you. All right, so moving on to our game of the week, Arkansas at Georgia. This is a noon kick, even though it is, I believe, game day is there. Um, so that's that's kind of interesting when those type of things happen. I said it last week, and I'll say it again. 
I love Sam Pittman. I love what Sam Pittman's doing. I love the team he's put together. I love this coaching staff he's put together. One thing I said last week, which was just absolutely wrong, was that the offensive coordinator for Arkansas was Dan Enos. Thomas, would you like to know the last time he was the offensive coordinator in Arkansas? Well, I think it was a minute. 2017. 2017. <laughs> That's two head coaches ago. That's Britt Bielma's regime. Not even Chad Morris. So I apologize for that. I don't know what I was looking at. It is Kendall Bryle. It's been Kendall Bryle for two years now. So I like his offense, his offense, Kendall Bryle's offense, which uh, you mentioned briefly earlier, RG3 was on the call for the Clemson game, which Kendall ran a lot of the offense there for him at Baylor. Uh, he is, you know, this this game that they have with KJ um, Jefferson and what he's doing, they're allowing him to make big plays. He only completed 45% of his passes, which isn't obviously a very good percentage. He's in the mid to low 60s on the season. Texas A&M's defense is pretty good. We talked about that last week. But two passes, first first score of the game, an 80-yard touchdown pass, and then very soon after that, a 48-yard touchdown pass. I believe he added 60 yards on the ground. So he's doing what needs to be done for this offense to win, and I, I really like that. Here's my only concern going into Athens. This is, as I've said on previous shows, to quote my favorite wrestling commentator of all time, business is about to pick up and, oh my God, is that Georgia's music? Because it is, and you're going into Athens, and it's going to be tough, and they got some big dogs over there. Arky only scored three points in the second half against Texas A&M, three total points. It was obviously enough to get the win, which is great, but that's somewhat concerning going into a very good, if not the best, defense in college football right now with Georgia. Thomas, talk to us about that Georgia defense. Yeah, so you mentioned uh, you hit the nail on the head. As far as Arkansas's passing game here, um, you know, they, they don't take a lot of shots. But what, But here's the thing about that offense. Yeah, Arkansas is a, a run-first, a run-heavy offense. But they want to run the ball, but they want to be very picky about when they take their deep shots. As you mentioned, his stats, Jefferson, he threw for 212 yards against AM on seven completions. So right. they are going to – pick and choose where they want to go. But here's where I'm really fired up about this game is as awesome as, as Georgia's defense is and that front three and really front seven is this hands down, this will be Georgia's best offensive line that they faced all year. This is going to be a slugfest in the trenches. Um, Georgia uh, and excuse me, Arkansas, Arkansas is going to want to run a lot of outside zone and stretch plays. They want to force those interior guys, those Jordan Davises, the, the, the big, the big uglies up front. They want to force those guys to run sideline, sideline. So I think that's really how one of the ways Arkansas is going to try to attack this defense. But, he, but here's, here's another thing that, that goes a little overlooked here is, Georgia loves to rotate, gosh, 10, 12 defensive linemen through the game constantly. Arkansas has a knack for going tempo at the right spots. If they're going tempo, and if, they, if Arkansas, if the offense is not subbing, as you well know, Georgia can't sub either. They could really mm-hmm. wear down the front guys up there. Uh, but as far as, as far as outside of those front guys, I think Georgia is, is really going to try to take the deep ball away here, even though as, 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 as choosy and as Jefferson is with those balls and that 
Arkansas offense, they're going to keep everything in front of them. I think they're going to force Arkansas to drive them with short passes, a lot of those dink and dunks. All of that is assuming that Georgia can slow down that running game because it is a bear. It is a bear. Uh, Georgia's going to run a lot of zone coverage here. Again, keep everything in front. But as we've mentioned with mobile quarterbacks before, they're probably going to have to put a spy on Jefferson because, as you mentioned, he can't hurt you with his legs. If, if anybody has the speed at linebacker to spy a mobile quarterback like that, it's Georgia. Whether it's Tindor or anybody else, they've got the speed there to shut that down. They've got fantastic speed at the linebackers. But uh, I really think that, uh, again, I also want to mention, finally, junior safety Tyke Smith could be back for Georgia. He could be an X factor in that game. Granted, he's been cleared. He's been up and down in practice this week, but could be a huge addition to that secondary back there. But all in all, this game is going to be won and lost in the trenches here. Absolutely, 100%. Talking about Georgia's O real quick, you know, and you sort of mentioned this, that this may be um, the best offensive line that Georgia's defense has has faced. It it may be the best team that Georgia has faced. A couple weeks back when uh, Florida was and Alabama were getting ready to play, I asked the question, is Bama about to have their first real test when they play the Gators? I think that question could also be asked for Georgia. I, I hate to downplay the Gamecocks because I'm a Gamecock fan, but let's be honest about who we are. We're not a juggernaut. And let's be honest about who Clemson is. They're not a juggernaut. So those are their two biggest games so far this year. They played Vanderbilt. I think they scored more points on Vandy than Vandy had total yards of offense or darn near close to it or something like that. You know, and so we don't know if Georgia is as good as they look until they play somebody. You know, Arkansas has played Texas A&M, a ranked opponent. They've played Texas, a ranked opponent. Let's see who is ready. Um, this is, again, uh, to, to requote good old JR, business is about to pick up for both these teams. I, I can't believe it's a noon kickoff. This screams primetime football under the lights with those LED red lights that Georgia's got and all those crazies dressed up and going bananas in between the hedges. It'll be loud and raucous and, and, and crazy anyway, but I just can't believe this at the 7 o'clock kick. JT Daniel has proven he, he is – more than capable of doing the job. Their offensive line is just phenomenal. I mean, just really phenomenal. Um, there's not a whole lot negative to say there. They're very good at the wide receiver spot uh, with athleticism. Georgia, there's there's a lot. Again, it's hard to say this, but there's not a whole lot of weaknesses you see. But have we seen them play a quality enough opponent to make that statement? We're going to find out. The one thing I liked about Arkansas's defense when I watched that Texas A&M game their linebackers are fast, and they tackle well. They do not miss very many tackles. They're not super big, but they get there, and they make tackles in space, and I like that. So kind of a, a transition there to Arkansas's defense. Thomas, tell us what you think of them. Yeah, you know, again, great segue, nicely done, because uh, Georgia could also have back tight end Darnell Washington. Uh, he's also been cleared. He's, he's, he's one of those big 6'8", 270 guys, big mismatch in coverage. But as you mentioned, if anybody has the linebackers to, to, to handle a tight end like that in coverage, it's Arkansas. This, this game is really a, 
a, a great matchup for, for Barry Odom's Ben don't break defense. I think you're going to see a lot of yardage between the twenties. He's going to choke things down when you get inside the red zone, but Arkansas needs to continue to do what they've done so well this year. And it's just get pressure with the front three and let the back seven do the work. This is a fantastic pass defense. Um, They've got to be able to slow down Georgia's running game as well. But again, I don't really think that Arkansas needs to load the box here. This is not a put, put eight, seven, eight, nine guys in the box to stop the run game. This defense didn't really have to do a lot of that last week and held Spiller under 100 yards rushing. So I think they can stick to their game plan, get pressure with the front three, and just let the back work. It's, it's going to be very similar – on both sides of the ball, defensively and offensively, because I think you're going to see a lot of dinking and dunking down the field because that's how the, both of these defenses are going to play this. I agree with you. I agree with you totally there. All right, so let's talk a little bit about what does Arkansas need to do to win this game, in my opinion. I've said that a lot this week, but I think we're getting into better matchups. And, well, with the case of South Carolina and Clemson's struggling offense, you can't turn the ball over, can't give Georgia cheap – easy scores and you got to find a way to handle that big odd front from Georgia uh, uh, by Arkansas with Jordan Davis at that nose guard. Thomas, I think you bring up a fantastic point. I'd run tempo with these guys. He's huge. He's six, six, three forty. If you can handle him and you can get him tired and you can keep him on the field that could really pay dividends for you at the end of the game, find a way to keep 99 on the field, but out of your backfield. And that's going to be a key key element there for Arkansas. Thomas, what do you think the Hogs need to do to get this win? Well said, well said. Um, uh, kind of along the same lines to piggyback on that is be productive and be creative in the run game. Run tempo, get things, get things, don't be running things up, up the gut, which is Arkansas staple has been those A-gap runs, but stretch it out, get those big uglies running sidelines to sidelines, and then really contain Georgia's run game with the front three. Just let the back seven do the work and just get pressure with the front three, and I think it'll be a slugfest. Absolutely. So in Georgia's case, what do we think they need to do to win? In my opinion, we've talked a little bit about KJ Jefferson, what they're trying to do with him, them being Arkansas on offense. And what they're trying to do is, is utilize his abilities and his talents, not put a lot on him, in my opinion. So as Georgia, if I'm Kirby Smart, if I'm Georgia's defense, I'm trying to get them in third and long, second and long easy known passing downs to force them to throw the ball, get those sacks, bring exotic blitzes, bring a, a corner, get, or, or if you can just get penetration with your front group, that's, that works. You got to have third and 12, third and 14 to make these guys make plays on third down to show that they can do it. And finally let those big dogs eat, let the big offensive line from Georgia and let the big defensive line from Georgia do their thing and 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 see what happens. It's it's going to be a heavyweight fight, you know, to use that analogy. And and there's going to be some punches thrown. And I really feel like if you don't have a bunch of turnovers and you don't have a bunch of lost down yardage on downs, this is going to be a late quarter game, and it's going to be who's in better shape. Thomas, what do you think Georgia's got to do? 
Yeah, I mean, it's easy to say uh, limit Jefferson's yards uh, in the run game, but really is Georgia's, like you said, especially if, if Arkansas starts going tempo here, Georgia's got to get their defense off the field. Those guys are going to get tired. They're not going to be nearly as disruptive, and I, I think that Arkansas is just going to be able to have their way with them if they can't, if Georgia can't get their own defense off the field. Absolutely. I agree with you there. All right. Another great episode of the Slightly Above Average Football Fan. Make sure you are listening to us each week. The easiest way to do that is subscribe to us. That way you get that notification, that automatic download from your favorite podcasting platform, be that Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pod, Pod Index, any of those things. We're on them all. Check us out. Social media, Instagram and Twitter, at SAA Football Fan. That's at SAA Football Fan for both of those platforms. And then the Slightly Above Average Football Fan podcast Facebook page is up and running with information and how to download and, and what we'll be talking about. Thomas, another great week talking ball with you, man. Yeah, man, enjoyed it again. And I think, uh, don't quote me on this, but it looks like last week I said hammer the under on all of them. I think all of them hit. Honestly, if you're looking to make some easy money, I hammer these unders too. It's going to be a slugfest again this weekend. Totally agree with you, man. All right, see you all next week.